0: Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, where, when it's time to make a life-altering decision, deciding not to decide about the decision is the best decision of them all.
1: Book number 46, Decisions. Is this the end for Robin and George?
0: Hello, gladiators. It's me, Marissa Flaxbart, your host, and I am here with a return guest all the way back from episode four. This season, we're bringing back some of the OG guests. And her name is Mary-Kate Battles. Hi, Mary-Kate. Hi,
1: Marissa. Carol (laughs) Flaxbart.
0: You sound every bit as thrilled to be here as you were last time. I have to say,
1: I'm more into this book than I was the last book. So that's something. Okay, good. That's something.
0: Book number four, you may recall, if you are a Sweet Valley fan or if you just have listened to the podcast a lot, book number four is one of the more controversial ones because of the just like really difficult amount of fat shaming that is a part of it and just like integral to kind of the whole plot and story of it. It's about Robin Wilson. Now, in the books, I think, Mary-Kate, this will probably not come as a surprise to you that pretty much every time Robin Wilson comes up, there's like just a just a sentence that like just makes you a little nervous uh, <laughs> for just for just a sec about like ooh is it uh, do we really have to talk about this? Where they describe how she used to be fat and now she's not fat. Now she's beautiful. I'm sorry. It's not because there's nothing there's nothing inherently fat shaming about saying someone was once heavy and now is not heavy. It's just the value judgment of, like, oh, boy, once she lost that weight, she was really beautiful and popular.
1: Yeah. I think my least favorite sentence in the whole book was, quote, shedding the pounds had transformed Robin, and she found she was a very attractive, even beautiful girl. And I was in public. Yep. So I could not throw my Kindle across the room. But I <laughs> and you were reading to. it on a Kindle, so you don't want it to Kindle. break.
0: I have my handy paper back here, so I could totally Uh, throw it and I would not have have. to worry. Yeah. Well, this is, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I think just to get it out of the way, uh, there was a, a part of the book that I got to that I felt like really encapsulated the way that this book is making an attempt to not place quite so much of a value judgment on the whole Robin's weight, weight loss thing. And then by the end of the sentiment has, like, failed in that endeavor. (laughs) Um, Although, it's important to note that for most of this book, Robin, it's just not an issue. Like, this is not a book about Robin's weight. This is a book about other things in Robin's life. This character has moved on from her past problem, and now she's got a new set of problems. Um, just to show, go to show that even slender people have problems. They do? Um, okay, so, okay, it's on page 10. So it's really, really early. And this might be continuing on from the part that you just read, Mary-Kate. Mm-hmm. For years, Robin had been overweight. Eating had been the biggest part of her life, and it didn't seem like a problem until she ran into Jessica Wakefield in the Pi Beta Alpha sorority. Because she wanted to be a member, Robin had done whatever pledge tasks the sorority sisters had asked her to. And in the end, Robin had still been blackballed. Because she was fat. So there's the start. The start is like, can you believe what these bitches did? And it wasn't a problem for her that she loved to eat so much. After that... Robin started exercising and dieting seriously. Not to impress the girls in the sorority, but to prove to herself that she could do it. Shutting the pounds had transformed Robin, and she found she was a very attractive, even beautiful girl. There's the part you just pointed out. Yep. Since then, she had become co-captain of the cheerleading squad and a very good platform diver, using athletic talent she had never known she had. But whenever she was upset or depressed, she had to fight the urge to binge on ice cream Sundays and pizza so now sh- now she's binging now eating equals eating equals binging never mind the fact that all of the other teenagers in these books eat ice cream and pizza all the time like at at casey's at the dairy burger every single book okay continuing robin's talking to annie don't worry robin said every time i go to diving practice and see myself in a bathing suit i say don't eat don't eat so far it's worked so, God. just that's in in the course of a, of a of a page. Basically, we've run the full gamut from like, hey, you know, Robin was still good before she lost the weight to like, Robin sees herself in a bathing suit and tells herself not to eat. So, ugh. It's this girl it's needs some,
1: some serious therapy. Um. <laughs> oh my gosh, she could really use a therapist to talk to in this whole book. That's she right. She really needs one. And I mean, as we go on, which I'm sure we'll discuss, like her aunt and her mom, like, she needs some therapy, because she needs somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in her decisions. Yes, that is
0: exactly, exactly right. I would say that everybody that is important to her has an angle on the big, the big decision that she's making. And, you know, there's no need to fixate on the weight thing. But it just seemed like coming off of our last conversation about Robin Wilson way back in in book four, it was worth kind of checking in to how the book is handling this. And I we got some feedback, actually, I got some personal feedback from a friend after listening to that powerplay episode where she was like, wow, you guys were so body positive. And it was just so refreshing to hear. And I, (laughs) I was so I was honestly kind of surprised because I felt like we were just having a conversation about the obvious, like, you know, being fat isn't bad. <laughs> More importantly, it's not always and often not a factor of like self-control. I think that's the problem with stigmatizing fatness. Because people argue about like health and activity, but like you can be the most active clean eating person in the world and still be overweight if that's what your body wants to be. So anyway.
1: Yep, for sure. I I was so mad at you, Marissa, when I first started reading this book because I was like, again? I was gonna say that was page 10. But you know what, the rest of the book really didn't focus on that. But like, there was um, a part where like Robin said, like, either that or I'll start stuffing myself with every fattening thing in sight. And I'm like, okay. And please don't let that be
0: the decision she has to make like whether or not to binge eat. Please don't please don't. And it wasn't. We skipped over the all important opening segment of this podcast where we talk about the cover. <laughs> Do you want to talk about it at all? It's amusingly off center, first of all, just from a purely uh, spatial analysis kind of perspective. Yeah, graphic design wise, it doesn't,
1: not great on the eyes. Um, but the characters are back to back, arms crossed, kind of like. Um, the Lucy from Seventh Heaven, who always had her arms crossed and was so angry. That's exactly what that reminds me of. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the
0: people in question are Robin Wilson and her boyfriend George Warren. Yes, um, teen pilot George Warren, <laughs> and <laughs> I guess Robin Wilson is a teen pilot too. Although she doesn't do any flying in this book. Oh, that's all George. Or they just talk about flying. They, talk, they don't actually. They talk fly. about going on a
1: date where they go flying and see shipwrecks from the air. <laughs> Because, like, that's a normal <laughs> high school date. It was so
0: specific. Like, George had this really big idea that that's what they... Maybe that's a thing people do. I don't know. I don't know from flying flying dates. I know I live in California, but nobody has invited me on a Cessna wreck search date. No? Shipwreck spotting date oh. yet. No, no. You need, to, maybe keep, maybe you need th- to keep swiping
1: until you find
0: someone who's going to do that. <laughs> I need to start swiping, first of all. <laughs> but maybe... Um, Maybe that's something that kids grow out of by the time they hit like twenty. So I'm I'm already <laughs> aged out of that. <laughs> You're aged out of flying dates. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, also, cinema has suggested to me that a lot of people have like those glider planes, like millionaires oh, flying right, glider right, right. planes, sometimes crashing them. Yes. Um, so I would go in one of those. Okay. If anybody. If anybody knows an eligible bachelor who wants to take a lady out on a glider date, I would
1: and say isn't, the, elite, uh, creepy. the elite Sweet Valley High podcaster influencer. If you want to do this, now's <laughs> the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for the. Um, <laughs> recommendation, the vote of confidence. (laughs) What's happening with George and Robin on this cover is sort of uh, representational of a a few moments where they are at odds. But mostly, this book isn't about Robin and George being at odds. And it's not about if it's the end for Robin and George per se. Um, Although George certainly does get really angry at her. But I mean, I guess, should we go in from the Robin angle and start with that, since that's what the book is ostensibly about? Or should we talk about the uh, the twins and the musical uh, oh, B story slash slash uh, stealth A story of this book? This is another one where the story on the cover is only sort of the story of the book. I guess they thought that B story was too boring for, <laughs>
1: <laughs> for a main event. I don't know. I would have loved to see... Um, a recorder on the front cover, honestly,
0: personally. <laughs> just, just Jessica and Elizabeth on either side of a recorder. <laughs> uh, and uh, guys, we're talking about, the. Re- they're like both eyeing it lustily. We're talking about the musical instrument, the recorder, right yes, now. Yes, yes, of course. Which there are a few things, I have to say, this is like a kind of a hot take, but there are a few things in the world of Sweet Valley that amuse me more than this recorder plotline. Just because of how specific and weird it is, like the recorder. Um, so, so guys, you know the recorder, right? It's like a plastic kind of flute type thing. A lot of times you play it in like elementary school, in our, in our school system, mm-hmm. I think. Did you ever play a recorder in elementary school? I feel
1: like fifth grade they come
0: out. Yeah, yeah. totally. Everybody, Mary-Kate and I have known each other since seventh grade. Yes. yes. So, important detail. <laughs> But the recorder, I mean, it is, it has a certain tone. It's used a lot in, like, medieval music. My dad actually plays the recorder. And when I was, he had, like, a nice wood one. And when I was growing up, sometimes he would play in church, like, as an accompaniment to, like, songs the choir was singing. So I don't want to, like, be down on the recorder. But it's just, you know, it's not the most obvious choice. Maybe they picked it because it seemed like something that anybody could pick up and start playing. Sidebar, of course
1: Don Flaxbart plays the recorder. I mean, obviously. (laughs) That's like, obviously. I'm I'm just not even surprised. A little bit. Love you, Don. <laughs> yeah. Well, the,
0: the <laughs> listeners to the podcast love Don Flaxbart too. Oh, and uh, I'm sure also will not be surprised to learn that he plays the recorder based on the little knowledge they have of him. I have a feeling they might not be surprised. So, guys, you may be, you're like, why the hell are they talking about this? <laughs> what does this have to do with Robin and George? Because we're really off on a tangent enjoying, <laughs> enjoying the book here. But, um... This is a part of the Elizabeth and Jessica plotline, which I guess we're talking about it, so we might as well talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Jessica, like right off the bat, in the beginning of the book, has gotten a babysitting job. And it's for a guy named Alex Kane. It's for a little girl, but Alex Kane is the big brother and he's a musician. He's going, he's composing a symphony. He's like a college student. Yes, college student, I believe. So, he's a college student. He needs as much peace and quiet as he can find to rec- work on his symphony. And his parents are in San Francisco a lot. <laughs> anyway, Jessica will babysit his, his cute little sister, mm-hmm. whose name is... Allison? Allison? Yeah. Um, so, Jessica, like, lays one eye <laughs> on Alex Kane and is like, oh, this is going to be my new date how can I convince him to pay attention to me, even though he has literally hired me so that he does not have to pay attention to anything except for the (laughs) symphony that he's writing. And I was thinking, I wrote down in my notes that this passage I'm about to read was Jessica's blank space moment. (laughs) Referring to Taylor Swift's song, Blank Space. Um, And I won't explain that any further. I'll leave that to you, gladiators, to piece together. And you, Mary Mm Kay. Through the big patio door, she could see Alex playing the piano and jotting down notes on paper. His face was serious and intent as he concentrated on his music. Obviously, the way to this man's heart was through music, she reasoned. So it was equally obvious that although she had no ear for music, sang off key, and had never wanted to learn to play an instrument, Jessica had to become a serious musician. It was as simple as that. I mean, that's <laughs> so simple. Alf, that's simple obviously that's simple become a serious musician even though i mean singing because singing would be the obvious choice but if she can't sing then right um she's got obviously she's got to learn to play the recorder because allison can do it like the little girl that she's babysitting for is really good at playing the recorder so jessica's like if this little baby can do it then i (laughs) should be able to do it um i'd also like
1: to just reading this book While having a toddler in quarantine, just reminded me like, you know, people are paying babysitters to keep their kids out of their hair. And if frickin Jessica kept coming in, like trying to interrupt me or um, Joe, my husband, like because she wanted to play the recorder, I would like be really unhappy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah Well, and she's not, don't think that she is interrupting with her recorder like hey let me play a concert for you because oh, she no. takes the thing home and she's really bad at it she can't really do it and she's I mean the recorder is an instrument that it is very easy to make it make a bad noise um, but in, uh, Jessica can't figure out how to transcend the bad noise portion of playing and, and move on to
1: the good noise part <laughs> well Elizabeth Finds the recorder, and she tries to play it, and she realizes that she likes it. And, I mean, she's kind of good at it, too. But she really doesn't want to get involved because – I. and I think this is a nice sister thing. She doesn't want to outshine her sister in yet another thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So she's like, keeps it on the DL. Which – are we going to discuss that their dog's name is Prince Albert? Because that's (laughs) – A thing. Well,
0: I think the gladiators are over it by now, but if you're not, guys, take a second to laugh about the fact that his name is Prince Albert and also uh, marvel at the fact that uh, the dog is a golden retriever again, unequivocally. Um, So. uh, it just says Golden Retriever. The word Labrador doesn't appear. Uh, Mary-Kate, this dog has been transforming back and forth. Yeah, um, It's basically like the decision of whether or not the word Labrador is going to appear in the <laughs> dog's <laughs> description. And it changes what kind of dog he is. Oh, my goodness. Um, But yeah, and and Elizabeth, it's like Elizabeth has her own decision in the book. I know, Gladiators, we haven't even told you what Robin's decision is yet. But Elizabeth has her own decision to make. And it's like, do I play the recorder or don't I? (laughs) (laughs) And she is... Uh, yeah, she's really determined not to, but she's, co- her talk to, like, her non-biased, like, third party is the dog. She's, the dog <laughs> yes. is constantly there, like, looking at her, holding the recorder, considering playing the recorder, thinking about practicing the recorder and accidentally playing it for a full hour. <laughs> and um, the dog is always there looking, and she's just like, I know I shouldn't, but I I just, I'll just try it for a second. So let me read um, a little bit about Elizabeth's uh elizabeth's recorder obsession taking the recorder elizabeth carefully fitted her fingers over the holes and blew a light airy note came out steady and true she handed the recorder back to her sister maybe you were blowing too hard maybe jessica grumbled jessica tried again to produce a single clear note thoughtful elizabeth watched her twin having the recorder in her hands and playing that one note had been fun and strangely exciting too in a way For some reason, she had never considered taking up an instrument before. But now, playing the recorder seemed like something she could really enjoy. Her thoughts returned to the girls she had heard on the beach. She heard some girls playing a recorder duet on the beach once, so that's interesting. (laughs) Um, Making music like that must be wonderful. That's Elizabeth's obsession with with, uh, the idea of of playing the recorder.
1: I mean, obviously, every high school girl who's in a high school sorority because those exist. I mean, I know we talk about this all the time, but come on, is going to be obsessed with the recorder. Obviously, obviously.
0: <laughs> so we can get back to Elizabeth and Jessica and their storyline, but we've only been recording for 25 minutes. Let's go
1: ahead and talk about Robin Wilson. <laughs> oh, Robin. Well, Robin has, has like a legit, on. like, honestly, I think it is a very difficult decision to make. Um, yeah and these yeah. kids are sixteen
0: so so Robin, at sixteen has applied early admission, not early acceptance but early admission to Sarah Lawrence College, which is like the place that her her aunt and her grandmother went. It's like uh, her ancestors have gone to this school it's It's the tradition, and she got accepted. Her aunt is this wealthy fiona Aunt Fiona is this wealthy artist, like the most celebrated artist in New York City whoa. <laughs> And she says she's very wealthy. And she says that she'll pay for Robin's four years at Sarah Lawrence, but only if Robin goes to Sarah Lawrence. Yeah, And it's basically a done deal that she's going to go there as far as her mother, as far as Robin's mother and Robin's aunt are concerned. And Robin was excited about it. But the other thing, as we alluded to in that passage that I read earlier, is that Robin has gotten really into diving. So she's got a big diving match coming up. She's very good. Almost as good as Tracy something, <laughs> who is her neighbor and also her diving competitor. Yes. And then she's got this boyfriend, George. So these are the two sides of Robin's Robin's dilemma, the, the interested parties we alluded to. On the one hand, she's got her mom and aunt who are like, definitely you're going to Sarah Lawrence, obviously you're going, how could you be so ungrateful to turn down an opportunity like this? Oh, and also you're going a year early, like this (coughs) is it for you, you're going to start college in the fall. And then on the other hand, she's got George, who is like, of course, obviously you'll want to go to college in California, you'll get a diving scholarship, don't worry about paying for it, or there's other ways and we'll be close and you don't want to, obviously, you don't want to leave California. Like, we know that. And both both sides are kind of enticing. And also, she's kind of resentful
1: of both of them. What do you think? Uh, yeah, and honestly, I would be resentful, too. Um, yeah, she doesn't know what she wants yet. She's 16. And she says it over and over in the book, like, she's just not ready yet. She's not ready for college. And I think any student that age who is mature enough to realize that, you know, that should be respected. Yeah.
0: And neither party is asking her what she thinks. They're both telling her what they know she thinks. Yeah, nobody asks her anything. You
1: know.
0: <laughs> and the tr- the truth is that she does kind of agree. I mean, it's like in the same way that she resents both sides of the argument, she also is uh, sh- both things, both ideas appeal to her. And maybe part of the problem is that neither of them are really her idea. So maybe she wants to come up with her own plan for, for what she's going to do for college. And I think is resentful. Like, my doesn't doesn't what I want even matter?
1: Obviously not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but an important plot point at the beginning relating to George is that Robin is starting to talk about this with people. Like, she told Jessica, she somehow, I think Jessica, like, caught her crying about it at the end of the previous book is what happened. Right. And then she's telling her good friend, Annie Whitman, who gladiators may remember as the wrong kind of girl, a character that is very dear to me because that book was the book that got me started on my whole Sweet Valley High obsession uh, as a young adult. So Annie is like the... uh, kind of sworn to secrecy because Robin hasn't told George yet and he's like what does George think of all of this and Robin's like I don't know because I haven't told him I mean I get uh, it that's a
1: hard decision and especially because George is so sure that she that she's going to pick him and it's it's not even about the school it's about picking him um, well, Yeah, and
0: before she even tells him about the whole the situation at all, like the fact that she she hasn't even told him she applied to Sarah Lawrence at the outset of this book, Right. she has kept the whole thing secret from him. I think it's one of those things. I mean, I can, as my, I can judge Robin for this, but I can also relate to it. It's like when you think that, like, there, oh, there's no point in getting anybody all worked up about this until I know there's something to get worked up about. So, you know, she applies to Sarah Lawrence thinking, oh, she won't get in. She's a high school junior. But then she does get in. And now it's like, oh, okay, great, then you're going. And she still hasn't even told. It's like she has to reveal that she's been being secretive to even bring it up in the first place. But if she's going to start telling people, then she needs to tell George. Because, of course, George finds out about it from someone that is not Robin.
1: Yeah, well, and nobody likes finding out something about a good friend or, in this case, a romantic partner from somebody else just waited too long but I can relate to that you know you just keep putting it off keep putting it off and then it's too late
0: well do you remember who tells him
1: well yes isn't it Jessica
0: well, it's Jessica's fault. But the oh, person right. who actually who actually breaks it to him completely innocently is actually Elizabeth. That's right. Because that's Jessica what? has told Elizabeth about it. Yes. Like they're just, you know, they talk are talking in the cafeteria, like, Oh, what's going on with Robin? And Jessica's like, Oh, you wouldn't believe it. She's got into Sarah Lawrence College and um You know, Jessica's not really friends with Robin, so she doesn't know all the nuance of the problem. And so Elizabeth doesn't get any of that either. Elizabeth just innocently runs into George at the library, which that was a funny scene. Like, everybody in Sweet Valley High is at the library doing, like, reading things that are appropriate to their character. Like, uh, Bill Chase is reading a magazine about surfing.
1: And if with his always, like, burned, sunburned nose or something. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. So um, Elizabeth, all
0: she says to George is like, that's so exciting about Robin. And George is like, what are you talking about? And Elizabeth's like, she's going to college in New York. (laughs) And then immediately realizes by the look on George's face that she's blown it. Yeah. But does she call Robin and apologize? She does not. Oh, no. Because she's too busy thinking about the recorder. <laughs> and she's working on a history paper about the Constitution. Yeah, which she doesn't like. Well, she likes the Constitution, I think. But she's being very <laughs> hard on her writing for the paper. Yes. There's a part where it's like this whole beautiful passage about what the value of the Constitution is opens a chapter. And then it ends with, in italics, the word, yeah. Yeah. Because Elizabeth is like, oh. This is so boring. I can't believe I wrote this sentence. <laughs> so here we are. George is so mad at, jo- George is so mad at Robin. And when he confronts Robin about it, he says, I just thought it was, you know, it's great to find out from somebody else that you want to break up with me. That's, that's where he jumps. Oh, George. That's
1: um very, I don't know what the right word is, but that's a bad partner right there. I mean, they're really leap into conclusions.
0: Well, so George leaps to that conclusion, which I know I was very, I was really frustrated with George because it's like, you didn't even ask her to verify if it was true. You're assuming that this is true. And then you are assuming that it's it's like you're making it about you. Obviously. Which is not, it's not. (laughs) And George is older, so he doesn't have the I'm 16 excuse either. He's like 18. <laughs> I realized as I said that what a dumb <laughs> argument that is. But He's an 18-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, but then Robin jumps to her own really upsetting conclusion, which is that Annie must have broken her confidence and told George her secret, because Annie's the only person that... Uh, Robin remembers telling about this.
1: Well, she even and, mentions that she told Jessica, but it had to be Robin. It had to be Annie. Yeah, yeah. Annie, sorry.
0: That's okay. She, yeah. And so she, and she t- accuses Annie, like publicly, of breaking her trust. And Annie denies it angrily because, of course, she's upset at yeah. being accused. And Robin doesn't care at all. Like she, she is sure, which that is. That made me mad. I, I, I was really upset with Robin about that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they had a whole dish scene at cheerleading practice and they decided to do the pyramid without her. She was too mad. Oh, she yeah. walked away. I don't know how you do a pyramid with with one less person, but okay. Clearly <laughs> yeah. not a cheerleader. That's true. They do
0: say that line, we can do the pyramid without her. But I don't know exactly We're how that kind works. Of pyramid you're doing,
1: ladies, but I
0: don't know how that <laughs> Maybe works. Maybe it's just like a three-person pyramid. They just do a little <laughs> short one. Um but this is actually a, a good point uh to have another little reading here from uh, what's Jessica's perspective. Watch this fight happens at cheerleading practice, as we said. So Um, Jessica overhears what, what Robin is accusing Annie of. And she understands right away, what must have happened, because she knows that she told Elizabeth and she remembers that Elizabeth said that she ran into George at the library. But that's she puts the pieces together. She's a real detective here. (laughs) But okay. Um. From under her lashes, Jessica darted another lightning glance at Robin. Ever since Robin had lost all that weight, she had been serious competition for Jessica. Being beautiful, brainy, making co-captain of the varsity squad, and becoming an excellent diver had made Robin a definite presence in the junior class. In fact, Robin did just about everything well. She had even won the title of homecoming queen away from Jessica. Jessica nodded thoughtfully. If Robin and George broke up... And if Robin and Annie weren't friends anymore, there wouldn't be anything to keep Robin in Sweet Valley. And as far as Jessica was concerned, it wouldn't be a very tragic loss. So, all things considered, Jessica didn't think she would set the record straight on who told George. She would just mind her own business and keep her mouth shut.
1: (laughs) What a bitch!
0: Yeah, she's like let sleeping dogs lie or th- they're not sleeping, I guess. It's just like let's let this unfold naturally. I don't need to further intervene. <coughs> Poor Robin though. I mean, I'm I'm mad at her about Annie, but everything else it's like all of the scenes with her mother and her aunt, her aunt comes to town. And it's basically like when she talks to them, they're like how could you even th- I mean, Aunt Fiona isn't doesn't even know that Uh, that Robin is considering not going to Sarah Lawrence. But her mom is just like, how could you even think about it? And it sounds like Aunt Fiona really has a lot of power in their family because she gives them money and she's helped them out a
1: lot. Yeah, it's kind of icky. but um, And then we haven't talked about the the side plot with the, the aunt where for some reason, if she, if Robin goes to school, to school where she wants her to in New York, the mom gets a new kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the book doesn't even really explain it very well. No, like but- she'll be so happy that she, that Robin's going to school and like carrying on their legacy that she'll redo the kitchen for her sister. Yeah, which is real, real bizarre, but okay. You know, families are weird.
0: Let me read a passage about this where Robin has just told her mother for the first time that she's considering not going to Sarah Lawrence. And um, her mom just really scolds her, like, how could you ever think about, like, it's four years of college. And that much you can understand her mom's perspective. Like, Mm -hmm. she's paying for four years at this great school. You got into it. How could you turn this down? But the mom is, is fairly cruel about it. She has a moment, one moment of compassion where she says, Well, I know it's scary to go so far away, honey, but really, I can't understand how you can be unsure about going at all. Your aunt has always been so generous to us. I don't know what we do without her. Is it so much to ask to go to a school that will make her happy? Robin met her mother's eyes and felt hurt and confusion rippling through her. Didn't her own happiness matter, or wasn't she allowed to take that into consideration? She felt tears prick her eyes and turned away quickly. And what possible reason could you have for turning down such an incredibly generous offer, may I ask? Mrs. Wilson went on, her irritation becoming clear in her voice. Keeping her face averted, Robin said in a low voice, I thought I might want to stay in California for... "'for diving, and because of George?' "'Oh, Robin,' Mrs. Wilson turned back to the sink "'and began clattering silverware around. "'How can you be so selfish and immature?' "'she demanded, her voice throbbing with intensity. "'I'm really surprised at you. "'I always thought you were more responsible "'and grown up than that.' "'Stung, Robin bit her lip to keep from crying. "'She didn't know what to think. "'She was getting more confused "'each time the subject came up. "'I'm not being immature, am I?' "'Robin asked herself silently. "'I just haven't made up my mind yet.' From the corner of her eye, she saw her mother grit her teeth as she tried to shut a cupboard door that always stuck. In a flash, Robin realized that she was being sacrificed for a new kitchen. All her mother cared about was getting her kitchen remodeled, and the price was making Robin go to college in New York.
1: (laughs) The classic teen problem. I mean, who hasn't had this issue in their life? (laughs)
0: but bless her heart like in the next sentence Robin is like and she can understand why her mother would want a new kitchen it's like she's seeing all angles and that's that's really torturing her Um, and then so I don't know the aunt comes to town and Robin just can't like bring herself to, to say listen I haven't decided yet and the aunt is quite a character
1: oh yes Yes. And I mean, I get it. I think there's a lot on the line. And um, we haven't even mentioned that her big diving competition is coming up. And she just, she's got, she's got a lot going on. She's got a lot going on. And I think it's easy to push off the decisions and the choices and telling people what she really wants, but she doesn't even know what she really wants. I think it's hard to admit that.
0: Right. Because going it's not like going to Sarah Lawrence would be bad. Right. It's just that I think it's really just is that she's not able to make her own decision. And, and she's not ready, as we said. So, the, finally, the aunt has had this show in L.A. That's why she's in, in Sweet Valley. Because she's had an art show in L.A. And she's sold a bunch of big pieces. And, and she takes the family. Robin has two younger brothers. And, I don't know, no dad so
1: yeah they don't the, mention like this dad i mean obviously they're divorced but like is stepdad or no there's not a stepdad but the dad doesn't no. get to have any say on where her daughter's going to school or maybe it came up in some past book
0: but it is not even mentioned in this book but yeah. the number of uh sweet valley students that are living that are being raised by single mothers is that is ticking up or fathers uh, as they talk about it oh very that's, end true, of the book. that's true that's true The uh, Dr. Porter, who will come up in the next book, a single father. Yeah. Yes. So they go to the Cote d'Or in Malvina, the French (laughs) restaurant, and the Aunt Fiona says she's going to order for everybody. And (laughs) I like that she says, Cokes for the
1: gentlemen.
0: Yeah. Yikes.
1: (laughs) It's another one of those annoying things.
0: Well, finally... Like, Robin Robin is just so tortured by this whole thing. Like, how is she going to pretend like she's okay with this? And she just has... She reaches her breaking point, and she tells Aunt Fiona that she... She'll take any more of her money over her dead body or something. And she storms away, and she calls George and has him come pick her up and take her home, because they're, like, a few towns away. And George comes, and Robin starts complaining to him about h- how her aunt and mother are not letting her make this decision on her own and being really insensitive about it, as if her own feelings don't matter. And George goes into how terrible they are because obviously you want to go to school in California, you know, and he he is just really insistent that he knows what Robin wants. And it's, it's not just that Robin is working on the decision, but specifically,
1: I know that you want to do this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just not cool. And, you know, as we'll find out later in the book, he does come to his senses, which like, I'm just surprised that an 18 year old came to his senses in, in such a sensitive way. But like, you know, he wants what he wants. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, gladiators, who do you think uh, is the missing piece of the puzzle that allows everybody to have clarity of mind and just straightens everything up? Cause if you guessed Elizabeth Wakefield, you're right. But like her, her meddling is very, very minimal. So to her credit, she finally picks up the damn phone and calls Robin to say, "Hey, I understood from Jessica that maybe there was some confusion. Uh, and, you know, I I saw George at the library. I mentioned to him that you were going, I didn't know it was a secret. I'm so sorry. and Robin, this is that' very night, like the night of the uh, door dinner and <clears throat> George has dropped Robin off, and Robin is like, man, George doesn't really get it either, but they don't ha- they haven't had a fight or anything. like Robin hasn't told George that he's also making the mistake of presuming that he knows what she wants instead of asking her and so that's cleared up but robin now feels like shit because she uh falsely accused her best friend of betraying her and then elizabeth steps in again the next day it's like robin is is going to sleep and she's like oh shit my diving tournament is tomorrow like (laughs) poor thing and she hasn't
1: just whoops you know you just forget the the biggest <laughs> tournament yeah. of your high school career obviously yeah
0: and boy, if we went into this book not knowing how judging a diving competition works, it, we really get a full explanation <laughs> of how, of every aspect of diving, like the the position on the board, the different boards, how many scores there are, and like how the lowest score is dropped It's really a lot of, a lot of page real estate devoted to describing all that to us, which does make it easier to follow along, I have to admit. So
1: true. And ro-
0: so Robin... Robin um, has been chastised earlier in the book by her coach, Dina, who was like a silver medalist at the
1: Olympics. Not a gold medalist. About like. Silver medalist. We just
0: have to
1: make sure we know. They
0: wanted to make it realistic. They wanted to make it realistic. (laughs) About like, she basically like, quit worrying about everything else. Keep your eyes on the prize because she hasn't been diving as well as she had been. And like, the whole school is out there to watch her, but she's just like, they're all going to see me fuck this up because. I'm doing a bad job because my head is not in the game. I'm too taken up by this decision I have to make. And she sees George and Elizabeth in the the bleachers talking to each other. And what she doesn't know is that Elizabeth is hearing from George what Robin's dilemma is and kind of reflects back to him like oh it sounds like she needs to make this decision on her own or whatever and george realizes that he was as guilty like he it occurs to him now that uh he was also pushing too hard for his thing
1: yeah again amazed that an 18 year old boy is the one coming to this realization but you know i guess crazier things have happened
0: yeah (laughs) So then the whole diving tournament gets delayed by half an hour for reasons that are not really ever explained. No, they never explain it.
1: But I thought, you know, I kept thinking it was he did something, then they never went there.
0: No, no. And then after Robin starts diving, and she has a shitty dive, and she sees George leave, and she's like, he's too bored to even watch. Like, she's so on her head. But then he returns, and he's got Aunt Fiona, he's got Mom, he's got the two brothers, they're all there to watch her. And she crushes it. She has all these perfect dives, and she she beats, they're the hardest dives, so they have the highest difficulty rating, and we learned all about diving. And she beats that Tracy- Who, do you remember what George, how George said he really, um, finally convinced Aunt Fiona to come watch Robin?
1: (laughs) Yes. so at the beginning, when Fiona comes to visit, Fiona makes a remark that she hates the neighbor's, um, yard decor, and so the way that he convinced them to come. It was that Tracy's family actually lives in that house with the atrocious yard decor. And of course the aunt was like, well, then I just have to go to this diving competition that I said I would never go to and root on my niece so that she can win the diving competition. Obviously.
0: Obviously. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So That's how that goes. It is, it's, it's, it's funny and it's like a fun callback, except that it's so convoluted
1: that it's hard to I think it would be great in like a teen movie. I can, I can see this playing out in a teen movie, like them sitting in the bleachers and like saying, well, you know, that shitty yard decor.
0: (laughs) It's it's hard (laughs) in a book. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Robin sees them all watching. And she has this moment of clarity. She knows exactly what she's going to do. Suddenly she understands that she doesn't have to decide. Like she doesn't have to go to college early. She can spend, she wants to stay in Sweet Valley. She's not ready to go to college and she'll decide during her senior year of high school what she's going to do.
1: Yeah. Fair. She realizes that she can make the decision. Uh, Especially, um,
0: of robin to think like oh i'll put it off till senior year because what we know about sweet valley high is that senior year is never coming <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be stuck in junior year forever
1: that honestly sounds like a, a nightmare I, I know you might agree with me marissa but tell me junior. that doesn't sound like a nightmare
0: yeah, junior year was okay, I guess. We should talk about it in uh, Extra Drama. We can talk about (laughs) high school. (laughs) Since we went to the same high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and of course, Robin kills it. She wins the competition, and her family is very understanding, but the big thing is that her aunt says that she'll pay for any college. She, like, understands the error of her ways, which is the biggest, like, miracle of the whole book, that suddenly the aunt just gets it. Yeah.
1: They don't really tell us too much more, but... I would have loved to known the conversation. I want to hear the conversation he had with the mom and the aunt to convince them to come to a diving competition.
0: Yeah. It's all very happy for Robin and it's sort of like I alluded to in my opening, like the the decision that Robin ends up making is to not decide at all. But that is in this case, the right decision for her, I think. Um, But let's go back to Elizabeth and Jessica. Um, (laughs) So Jessica has continued throughout the book to try and get Alex Kane's attention. And as long as we're going to talk about this, I think that there was one boy that I wanted to read the introduction of him. Um, and that's Alex Kane
1: Oh yes, please please. So let's Ooh.
0: read you The handsome Alex Kane Here's how he is described <laughs> She stopped in her tracks when she saw him For a long, heart-fluttering moment She couldn't think of a thing to say Alex was undoubtedly one of the best looking guys she had ever seen. The same soft blonde hair that framed his sister's pixie face curled behind his ears like gold silk, and intelligence and sensitivity sparkled in his eyes. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for coming, he said warmly, walking toward her with his hand outstretched. I really appreciate your helping me out this way. Staring into his deep brown eyes, she shook his hand mechanically. I see you've already made Allison's acquaintance, he drawled, smiling down adoringly at his sister. Suddenly, the thing Jessica wanted most was for Alex Kane to look at her like that. Here was a gorgeous college student who was sensitive and creative and devastatingly handsome. Instantly, Jessica pulled herself together and began to plan her strategy.
1: <laughs> yes, because what every teenage girl wants is that they're crushed to look at them like they look at their six-year-old sister.
0: yeah it's sort of gross so we do have like and and Jessica you know her machinations we've talked a little bit about I mean she makes up this lie about playing the recorder which she can never she realizes is is not going to work out for her soon enough I mean she goes to buy a recorder she goes to the music store with Kara to buy a recorder and some music and she She like wants to skip over the easy kid stuff and go to something that will be more impressive. But of course, that's not how learning a musical instrument works. And every time she goes in to try to like get Alex to talk to her, he is busy. Like she's interrupting him every time. So um, there is this one moment uh, where she's thinking about what she could do to get his attention that I thought was really funny. So I'm going to read it. So Allison asks for chocolate milk, and they're in the kitchen, and Jessica's making it for her. She stared at the milk for a moment and pictured herself dropping it. Milk everywhere, Allison shrieking in alarm. And then Alex would rush in, the light of anxious concern in his gorgeous brown eyes. As he took her in his arms, he would murmur in an emotion-choked voice, Thank goodness. I thought something terrible had happened to you. I'm just so grateful you're all right. If I had to lose you now... Then she could laugh, a small, slightly sheepish laugh, and confess to him that the phrase of music she had heard him playing had been so hauntingly moving, so arresting, so soul-stirring, that he had struck an answering chord in the depths of her heart. She had forgotten where she was, who she was. Jessica? She jerked to her senses. What a lousy idea. I just have to clean up all that milk. I'm wearing my best sandals, too. Maybe the craziest thing of all is not that. It's no. that when she finally... She finally sort of gets his attention. Do you want to talk about
1: it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, rem- let's keep in mind that she is supposed to be watching his little sister. And they live right on the beach. And they're playing at the beach. And she's, like, desperate to get this bro's attention. I mean, he's, she just doesn't even know what to do with herself. Desperate's the word, yeah. (laughs) So she goes in to find the recorder for, because she suggested that Allison play, which she has hidden in the house, but she didn't hide it good enough, apparently. And that didn't get his attention. So then she ends up going back in again. And I just want, maybe this is the mom of a toddler talking, but you're leaving a child on the fucking beach? Like that's what's happening right now? While you're trying to get the, it was the 80s. attention? Okay. Yes. And I'm, I'm no helicopter parent, okay? But we don't leave children on the beach. Anyway, she goes back inside and decides it's worked before and she's going to do it again. She's going to fake faint. Because that's a yep. thing. She, so she's just standing there, and he's looking
0: at her, and she's just like, oh, I feel, and then she collapses on the ground.
1: She really wanted him to catch him, but I, I feel like they're really um, painting him to be like kind of an awkward, good-looking guy, and uh, he does not catch her. Yes. And I would say
0: to his credit, it could just be that he's not objectifying the 16 year old babysitter. Well, you know, (laughs) know, he's not thinking of her that way. But then (laughs) uh, what happens instead is her plan kind of works. You know, he gathers her up, he takes her to the couch, and he basically says, Hey, so I'm going away to Juilliard, (laughs) but, you know, maybe in a couple of years I could give you a call. (laughs) And this, nothing could turn Jessica off faster. Than the suggestion that in a few years she might be
1: able to have a long distance relationship with this guy, <laughs> I just couldn't she's believe like, how offended. I mean, she's, like legit offended. They they spend a lot of time talking about how offended she is about this. I just thought that, was and weird. it's like
0: a, it's like flipping a switch. Yeah, she's she's just like instantly turned off. Yeah. Um, let me see actually if I can find it uh, because I thought it was really funny Um, so as soon as he says the word New York and he says uh, but maybe in a year or two when I come back not a chance she retorted silently no long distance relationships for me especially one where i take second place to a piano i don't care how gorgeous you are she glanced casually at her watch oh look at the time it's 5 30 time for me to go i'm feeling much better now and i have a date tonight with my boyfriend she added quickly hoping to squelch any hopes alex had for their getting together sorry i can't stay any longer and good luck with your symphony bye With a glittering smile, she hopped off the couch and went outside to wave goodbye to Allison. Then, without another look at Alex, she headed for the door. In spite of his irresistible good looks, Alex Kane had turned out to be one for the reject pile. No sooner had he noticed her than he was setting them up for a long-distance relationship two years in the future, and getting committed to a serious relationship was the one thing Jessica didn't have in mind. "'No thanks,' she muttered as she hopped in the car. "'I'm not waiting for anybody.'" (laughs)
1: The hell, Jessica? It is weird
0: because, like, if she had just said to him, like, oh, okay, like, this is so he was proposing that they could date in two years. Like, there's no, like, I don't know. It was weird. And the whole second to a piano thing, like, that would have been true at any point, Jessica. <laughs> like, yeah. you, this is the one thing you know about him. So, yeah. Anyway, it was funny, but it was just so strange. Just it, the, the turn on a dime of it. It, it, I guess it just goes to show that Jessica is all about the hunt. And the moment she caught him, she was like, exactly. was like catch and release. Yeah, she's not like, interested okay. once she can reel him in. I think that's it, yeah. She she wanted to prove to herself on some level that she could attract him and she loves she those toys. The end. Yeah. Oh. Duplicity. My name is Jessica. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth doesn't really have much more story. Like, she served her purpose. She's you know writing for the paper she's doing her elizabeth stuff um the one other boy related piece of information i wanted to share is um i don't know we don't really have a name for this or a segment so i'll just say it gray eye alert we have a george warren has gray eyes that's one of the uh, I, I hesitate to say this cuz it gets it gets into some weird eugenicist strange supremacy thing but in the in the In the hierarchy of Sweet Valley, gray eyes is one of the best colors of eyes you can have. Obviously. Well, and blonde. George Warren, dark horse.
1: And, you know, at the beginning of the book, they talk about. George Warren doesn't have blonde hair. They talk about being a size six blonde. I mean, that's mentioned like multiple times in the first chapter. So obviously, we know where all this is headed.
0: Aquamarine eyes has definitely got to be right at the top because that's what the Wakefields have. Oh, God. Everything the Wakefields has is at the top
1: got a hierarchy
0: but i think gray eyes is just a step down nicholas morrow has gray eyes and now george warren so mm. pretty cool good for them some people might say that i have gray eyes but not not the good kind <laughs> <laughs> what i don't know uh oh. i can cut that part out <laughs> please, please don't don't do that <laughs> okay um So now having read this book, even though it's not too heavy on them, do you consider yourself an Elizabeth or a Jessica? I mean, I'm an Elizabeth.
1: There's no way I'm a Jessica. (laughs) Yeah. There's no way. (laughs) I was the – I didn't write for the high school newspaper, but I wrote for the college newspaper. Um, And I just wasn't – I don't know. I wasn't pursuing – like that. I don't know. I wouldn't have learned an instrument for a guy. That was of (laughs) no interest to me. Did you relate to Robin at all in this book? Sure. I think, and especially when it comes, you know, to college decisions, I think that, uh, it's so stressful, you know, we're from the Chicago area and, you know, I had to make a decision about where I was going to go to school and I was, you know, being pushed to go someone somewhere a little more local and not because, well, actually because of family legacy, but not pushed obviously like, uh, like the aunt did in this book. But I I mean, I understand wanting to, to make your parents and your family happy about where you choose. Um, and ultimately I chose to go to, you know, Washington DC, which, uh, the year after, um, 9-11 9-11 was, and it was an interesting choice by my family standards. Um, but it's where I wanted to go. But it was so hard to make that choice. Um, and I was still scared. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know if I was ready. I didn't know anybody else, you know, who was even going to be cl- remotely close to where I was. So, I mean, those are hard choices. You never want to disappoint your family. I'm a goody two-shoes through and through. And um, it's really hard to disappoint anybody in your life, but especially your family.
0: Right, right. I am grateful that I didn't really have that family pressure in the same way, but I definitely, I made, I put that pressure on myself. You know, in my own choice of college, mm-hmm. I chose a place that was a bit of a of a family legacy place, and a place that both of my parents had worked at various points. Mm-hmm. And even though the benefits of that no longer existed, because um, my mother, who had worked there, had passed away. And also, I think that the tuition cut that I would have gotten when I started thinking about that school no longer existed as a policy anyway. But I think that in some ways, it was like I had I had definitely fixated on that school, partly because of the family connection. So that was the pressure that I was putting on myself, uh, in part. I mean, I, I'm making it sound like it was a bad decision. I don't think it was. But I guess I just all to say that those decisions and kind of pleasing your family with the choice you make can, I can relate to that.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I think up until that point for most high school students, not all, if you are, if you have decided that you're going to college, choosing the college could possibly be one of the biggest choices that you've had to personally make up until that point. And that is very stressful. Definitely.
0: That's a, that's so true. Yeah, it is. a It is a huge choice. And you know what I was thinking as you were talking that it's hard to it can be very hard to make the decision and feel ready to start college, even when you're finished with your four years of high school. Mm-hmm. So for Robin to ha- have to face it as a junior, uh, I think that that's it's so strange how lightly her aunt and mother seem to take that part of it. You know, like, I'm surprised that no one else in Robin's life suggests to her, like, well, you got in, maybe you can just defer your acceptance (laughs) until next year. You can't defer in
1: Sweet Valley, Marissa, obviously.
0: (laughs) You can't defer because time doesn't pass. Right, right. (laughs) Uh, Everything is deferred and nothing is deferred. (laughs) Did we miss anything? Hmm.
1: Did we miss anything? Um... I loved, I can't remember exactly who said it, but one of the boys in it said, quote, you know, college guys like me are big spenders. I really enjoyed that line. (laughs) I think that was probably George. Yes, you're right. It was George. That was great. And, um, well, I I just wanted to say about Tracy, you know, first of all, they're technically on the same team. So what the hell, Tracy, um, yeah, there's a lot of rivalry between Robin and Tracy. Yeah, Tracy needs to learn about shine theory, like, staff. you know? <laughs> um, she's just, um, you know, she doesn't shine unless everyone shines on her team. And she just, you know, she's got to learn it. It's just not very nice. Yeah.
0: It's definitely... Um, Shrine theory and sort of like 1980s America mentality are don't really feel like they fit very tightly. And gladiators, if you're unfamiliar with shine theory, um, well, that's a Aminatu, Sue, and Ann Friedman thing, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, anyway, look it up, it's great, especially uh, my my uh, female uh, and female identifying listeners. But for everybody, it's a good policy, regardless of your gender identity, for
1: sure. Yes. And they just wrote <laughs> um, a book and, together and called maybe Big Friendship, even, which I think I have not read yet, but I have purchased. And I think that's a good okay. book that all of us should read. You know?
0: I wanted to, I, w- I really wanted to like pre-order that book for you, but <laughs> I knew that it was too risky because you were going <laughs> to buy it for yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, I own it. I've got a stack of of literally a dozen books here that I haven't even cracked open yet. I have high hopes for quarantine. um, And that
0: didn't happen. Not to uh, gloat, but I've actually been doing pretty darn good about reading during quarantine. Writing, not as much, but reading I've been, I've been doing very well with. Super jealous. Uh, Well, Mary Kate, (laughs) let's continue. Uh, Well, you don't have to be jealous. You know, you, you've been doing important things too. (laughs) Uh, Mary-Kate, it's such a thrill as ever to talk to you about, about anything, but especially something so frivolous. Let's continue our conversation in next week's Extra Drama episode. And uh, Gladiators, first of all, if you are looking for a photographer in the <laughs> D.C. Uh, Maryland area, Mary-Kate <laughs> McKenna Photography is the place for the best pictures of you Oh, and wow. your loved ones. I didn't even That's what I
1: would say. I didn't even pay for a sponsorship. Thank
0: no, you. <laughs> I'll give you free sponsorship. I I promote you for free all the time and I live on the other side of the country Aww. so. <laughs> not much help not much help to you there, but Mary-Kate is a tremendously gifted photographer who's been running her own business for a, quite some time, like over a decade now. 16 so, I'm so years proud of bitches. And you're going to tell all your clients uh, in your newsletter to listen to you on this podcast, right? hmm Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm strong-arming you. No, just kidding. Um, and uh, I am a podcaster. I have this podcast, and you're listening to it. But have you rated it five stars on Apple Podcasts? Have you followed me on Instagram or the podcast? Uh, Sweet Valley Diaries is the handle. and. It's fun. I've also been tweeting more. Oh my gosh, I've been tweeting more at Sweet Valley. Did you know I'm at Sweet Valley? Hi? No, at Sweet Valley. Not <laughs> hi. My Twitter handle is at Sweet Valley. And it has been for a long time. I have my own personal Twitter too, but that's boring and I hate it. Sweet Valley tweeting <laughs> is the only tweeting I care about. Um, and anything else you want to plug or promote, Mary-Kate? Fucking vote. Oh yeah, definitely do that. Do it now. You can do it now. Yes. Do it now.
1: Vote, please.
0: I found out that my ballot has been received. Yes. So I did a little happy dance. I was very, I was very happy. I guess that's for American listeners. If you are listening from Estonia or where, where the podcast is very popular, apparently, <laughs> or um, Great Britain, or Canada, I know I have some Canadian listeners, any of any of the places that you might be listening from, if you have an election to vote in, please go ahead and vote in it, please. Um, if you are not American, say a prayer, maybe for for our country. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, but we'll accept it. Do um, you know that America runs on prayers, apparently? <laughs> so.
1: Thoughts and prayers, Marissa. Thoughts uh, thoughts and and prayers. prayers. Okay,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Thoughts are the secular version of prayers. (laughs) Anyway, I'm really rambling now, but uh, this has been Sweet Valley Diaries. You know, thank you for listening. (laughs)